Well, it's good to have you all here. I uh, love getting into the word with you guys. And uh, tonight uh, we're gonna talk about signs of the times, which is kind of what we talk about all the prophecy updates. But um, there's so much going on. Um, uh, we're gonna kind of handle this sort of like uh, the old uh, Walter Cronkite news hour and just kind of try to tackle as many news items as I can this evening because there's so much going on as it relates to Bible prophecy. Bible prophecy, what should be the fruit of Bible prophecy? Guns and bunkers and storing up Cheerios? No. Um, some people do that. And if you wanna do that, good luck. Uh, but but um, I, I think that's not the, the purpose of Bible prophecy. The Bible prophecy, first of all, when you're talking about scripture, one of the best byproducts of studying the Bible is faith. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and what? hearing by the word of God. And, and so I look at prophecy updates, just another chance to talk about scripture and uh, that builds faith. And I'll tell you, I don't know about you, but in dark days when things are bad, there's nothing like a little faith to get you through uh, to those tough times. As I see it, there's a lot of people miserable right now. And they, they watch gas prices soar and bad news, uh, inflation and war and threat of World War III and stuff like that. And there's a lot of people really deeply troubled, but as people of faith, we keep our eyes on Jesus and our faith strengthens us and it builds us up. Bible prophecy should do that. That should be probably the number one goal. Uh, also, the book of Revelation says the spirit of prophecy is what? Jesus, right, it's Jesus. So when we, when we talk about Bible prophecy, we should be looking to Jesus, looking for Jesus in his, his return, the rapture of the church. Um, it should be Christ-centered, uh, not, you know, uh, politics centered as much. We should always, although Jesus taught us to look at the signs of the times and, um, and that's what we're really uh, all about. So that's kind of the theme tonight is signs of the times as Jesus told us to look for the signs of the times and see what's going on uh, during these days that we're living. And I believe the Christian church should be doing this from the early, earliest part of the church to the present day. Um, uh, I like uh, you know, uh, the fact that the, the Jesus told us, there, there'd be signs of my coming. And so don't let these things trouble you, he would remind us. Um, there's a story, the priest and a pastor from a local, couple of local parishes were standing by the side of the road hold, holding up uh, a sign that said, the end is near, turn yourself around before it's too late. Um, and they planned to hold up the sign to each passing car. Well, the first car Leave us alone, you religious nuts, the first person yelled as they drove by, speeding. Um, from around the curve, then they heard the screeching tires, and then a splash. Um, and the, the pastor said to the priest, do you think that we should change the sign and say, bridge out instead? <laughs> Get it, the end is near, turn yourself around. Uh, signs of the times. Um, I like this one, uh, the end is near. Uh, uh, and, and some people say, you know, people that look at signs of the times, they're the wacko ones, they're the crazy ones, you know, that are looking at the signs. But Jesus said, nope, uh, signs of the times are part of the deal. In fact, let's do a quick uh, review. Um, in the Bible, it's, there's, there's a bunch of scriptures that talk about how we're to know what's happening and watch and wait. And what are we supposed to be watching? Well, Jesus told us, and let's review. We, we talk about Matthew 24 all the time at Prophecy Updates. It's one of the main uh, passages of scripture that really helps us when Jesus was asked, you know, when's the end of the world? He said um, in Matthew 24, six, and you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. These are signs um, that you be not troubled for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. 
Um, for nation shall rise against nation, na uh, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Um, in other words, before uh, the real tribulation kicks into gear, there's gonna be these signs. So some people say, man, the church is just gonna be raptured, so we don't have to worry about the tribulation. Well, we don't worry about the tribulation. Uh, we look to the Lord and we trust in him. But we also know that these are signs, Jesus said, that would happen before the tribulation actually kicks into gear. If you read your Matthew 24, uh, these are signs of coming events. Paul the apostle jumps on the same uh, you know, tune when he says there, it says, but of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. In other words, you guys know what's going on because you'll know the times and the seasons. Uh, no man knows the day or the hour, but you will know as Christians the times and the seasons. Why? Because there's signs of the times and seasons. And then it goes verse two. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, not us, by the way, they, they shall say peace and safety. Then sudden destruction come upon them as travail upon a woman with child and they shall not escape. But then it goes on talking about the signs. But you brethren are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Um, you are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore let us um, not sleep uh, as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Um, that, that idea of let us watch there at the end, that's, that's told to you and me over and over in scripture in the context of end times, Bible prophecy, watch. Um, the word watch there is also um, don't fall asleep or wake up is a word that is often in the newer translations. And that's actually a good rendition of it because the idea is to be a watchman or a guard, not sawing logs, you know, at the entry gate of a city, you're supposed to stand guard and watch. Um, and, and stay awake. Remember when Jesus told his disciples, come and watch, can't you watch and pray, you know, with me? And that's a term of the Bible is to be awake and stay watching and sort of vigilant, sober. Those are the languages of the Bible. And then, you know, again, in Timothy, second Timothy, you know, it says this know also that in the last days, perilous times will come. And we've done whole studies on the various things that are listed there about the perilous times. We're seeing a lot of those things come to pass. Um, the idea of watching, Mark chapter 13, Jesus said, watch, watch, watch. Uh, take heed uh, or listen up. Watch, the first watch there. Watch and pray for you know not when the time is. For the son of man is as a man taking a journey who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work and commanded the porter to watch. So watch ye therefore. <laughs> Again, we're told to watch. For you know not when the master of the house cometh at evening or at midnight or at the cock crowing in the morning, lest coming suddenly find you sleeping. And what uh, I say unto you, I say to all, watch. What do you think the Lord's trying to tell us here? <laughs> watch, watch, watch. So stay awake, stay awake, stay awake. Uh, and how do you stay awake? You watch and be sober. And um, I love this analogy. It's like, you know, uh, it's like a man who takes a far journey, you know, and, and then the, the servants are left to, to be dutifully caring for and doing the work of the house. That's what you and I as Christians are supposed to do. That's another thing that Bible prophecy should do for us. Um, some of the critics of Bible prophecy, which I'm shocked there, that there even are critics in the church of Bible prophecy, um, but there are. And one of the criticisms that I think is very undue is they say, well, you guys are just sitting around waiting for Jesus and you're not doing anything. 
And I just don't see that. I see people that are studying Bible prophecy, they seem to be more motivated than the others to go and share the good news as time is short, as we're watching and waiting. We're not just sitting around, uh, we're busy. Um, and um, I would say if I could be so bold um, that there's almost the opposite, that people that are, um, that are not watching the Bible prophecy issues and the signs of the times, they're sitting around talking about their checkbooks and how to manage your marriage and your money and your career and um, you know, um, sort of these weird themes that really are not gonna get the church through the difficulties that they're going through. Uh, you gotta get into the scripture and be a soldier watching on guard and waiting for the Lord, lest he find some of us sleeping. And I think sadly, a lot of the church is asleep today because of pastors and pulpits that are uh, silent right now and they're not speaking the truth, which is a, a sad thing. So one of the reasons we do prophecy updates once a month uh, and one of the reasons we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible is to keep our, the church awake. We need to stay awake during these times, looking for Jesus, the rapture of his church. Uh, we keep our finger on the pulse of what's happening in the world so that we can discern the times and the seasons. Uh, what an important thing that the church do just that. Um, man, I, I love the, um, the, the, the ability for us to talk to people about what's going on in the days that we're living. Um, it's one of the tools I hope you employ and that you use because there's a lot of people scratching their heads right now wondering what the world's going on. And the great thing is the Bible gives us the answers. We're not taken uh, in shock because there's war uh, in Ukraine right now. We're not shocked by that. Um, we're not shocked by what Putin is doing because we, the Bible kind of tells us about something that's gonna be sort of similar um, we've been studying the Gog-Magog invasion. Whether it's Putin or not, we don't know. Um, we, we do know it's gonna be a person that's a leader in the region of Russia who's gonna come down and attack Israel. The Bible says that's gonna happen. Whether it's Putin and, and Russia today or maybe somebody else in the future, we don't know for sure. But it is interesting, the, the way that Putin's behaving is very Gog-Magog-y. If you are a Bible student, you kind of have to say, yeah, that, that's kind of the behavior. Um, except for one thing, uh, we'll talk about that in a second. There's, there's some things that make, make, make me wonder, is he not the guy? Um, I do question. I'm not on the bandwagon. Some of the prophecy people are talking about online, I've noticed they're, oh yeah, this is for sure Gog-Magog. And I can't jump on that bandwagon. We don't know for sure. Uh, like I said in the last prophecy update, you know, Putin could be assassinated tomorrow and then their little prophecy update, they have to take him off their website because uh, they predicted something wrongly. That's another thing we're not doing, by the way, is trying to make predictions. Some people say, Brett, you, you know, you're doing a prophecy update predicting things. I, I'm not predicting anything. The Bible does predict things. And I'll tell you what the Bible predicts, but we won't try to say, well, this is exactly that unless we know for sure. For example, um, we know that Israel becoming a nation in 1948, that exactly was prophesied in the Bible, that they would become a nation once again. And we can say, wow, check the box. That's a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. But do we know that Putin is Gog and Russia today is Magog? We don't know that. And there's gonna be people wrong. Um, I saw people do, jump, jump the ship on this one uh, with the um, Y2K back in 1999, a bunch of prophecy guys. Some of my favorite guys were actually, oh yeah, this is it. And I'm like, no, don't say that. 
Because what if you're wrong? And they were all wrong. Uh, and uh, you know, nothing happened on Y2K, uh, not, not even a glitch. Uh, I mean, there, there was very little that happened on Y2K. Um, and so, you know, uh, people get kind of goofy about the prediction thing. We don't make predictions here. We do talk about Bible prophecy. There is a difference. Um, so all that to say, um, we're hoping to take that balanced biblical approach and this is something that you can share. And, and uh, if I could, if I, you know, those of you that are online or those of you that are even here, um, share prophecy updates with your friends. Um, I'm actually uh, amazed really this last couple of years, how many people have not only A, uh, found Athey Creek online because of the prophecy update, but B, how many people have actually accepted Christ because of prophecy updates. Uh, I'm, I'm amazed people, they, they hear these and they see what the Bible says and it makes them realize, wow, the Bible kind of knows what it's talking about. And, um, and it gives people that faith that we talk about. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. So pass these along. You know, you can share, you can subscribe. When you subscribe online, it helps that, uh, that channel uh, get out to more people and reach more people, uh, liking, sh- subscribing, sharing, stuff like that. Another quick thing while I'm talking about the shameless plug and everything. Um, <laughs> Uh, one thing is if, if you're on Instagram, I don't really do much with social media. Um, fortunately, our, our comms team kind of uh, does a lot of my social media stuff. So if you're messaging me and stuff on, on Instagram, you probably won't hear from me. Uh, I don't really look at it that much. Once in a while, I do. But, um, but I do stick stuff on there that is uh, kind of important. And uh, one thing, that, there's so much going on, I think I'm gonna start more and more giving little snippets, little, little couple minutes here and there on Bible prophecy themes and other biblical themes uh, on Instagram. So if you're interested in that, you can also uh, follow that on, uh, it's Pastor Brett uh, there on Instagram. But be that as it may, um, um, what are the signs of the times and what are the things we should be watching? Uh, let's, let's tr- I'm gonna try to do rapid fire. I'm not very good at that. But uh, let's, let's, let's talk about some of the signs of the times today that we're seeing. Number one on our list of things that are interesting, Russia, embarrassed. Um, that's an interesting thing. Who would have thought um, that uh, this attack, uh, you know, in this, this uh, Ukrainian war, who would have thought, you know, Putin always looks so smug and so uh, like dialed in, but, um, but it really is, it's a question, like what's going on? Does anybody wonder what's going on? Like if, if, if anybody would have said, yeah, Russia is gonna attack uh, Ukraine uh, and people were talking about it sort of, but not believing it would ever really happen, interestingly enough, even our president was saying, you know, they're postured to attack, but it's almost like they didn't believe it was really gonna happen. But if you would have asked us, you know, uh, you know, seven weeks ago, what are we? We're entering, I think, our sixth week of this conflict. Um, if you would have asked me seven weeks ago, I would have said, oh yeah, you know, uh, Kiev would be over in 24 hours, or, you know, the Ukrainians would go down. Russia's a powerhouse, world power. Uh, they could just, but everybody's a little bit shocked at how badly Russia is doing. And there's huge questions uh, as to why. Um, One of the things that's shocking, uh, uh, have you noticed how many missiles have failed? Um, There's these failed missiles littering the Ukrainian landscape. Um, This is a shocking statistic. Russian precision guided missiles are failing up to 60% of the time. So 60% of these missiles are just bouncing on the dirt and not exploding, uh, which is kind of interesting. Um, Three US officials with knowledge of intelligence on the issue uh, told Reuters this, um, a possible explanation 
for the poor progress of the Russian invasion. One of the you know, reasons why it's not working very well is there, there's all these missiles that are failing. Uh, thank the Lord you know, that they are failing. Um, but, um, but, but even Israel is sort of chiming in. Now, what's interesting is Israel's gotta play this thing really carefully. And by the way, when it comes to Bible prophecy, we focus on Israel. Israel's the epicenter of Bible prophecy as far as the nations go. For those of you that are new to Bible prophecy, it's kind of all about Israel. And that's, when, when I look at the Ukrainian uh, war and what's going on up there, um, there's a lot of things that are confusing about that whole thing. And I don't claim to be an expert on that. And, uh, um, and it, it's just a confusing situation and tough. And my heart breaks for Ukrainians. I've been praying for Ukrainians uh, and it's so sad to see the stories of what's going on. But you also have to kind of say, wow, those Ukrainians, they're a tough bunch, you know, and uh, they're hanging in there. Um, and who would have thought, you know, that they could hold off Putin uh, and, and do it so uh, drastically. But, but when, it, when it comes to you know, Israel and Bible prophecy, the question that we tend to ask is, is, is Putin gonna be emboldened to go down into Israel? Because that's what Ezekiel 38 says. You know, and and, and what, what's gonna happen there? What, what is interesting though is uh, reading uh, from the Jerusalem Post, um, they, um, this article talks about how Israel military surprised at how the war in Ukraine is going. Uh, this article from the Jerusalem Post says, a month into Russia's devastating invasion of Ukraine, Israel's military is surprised about what they're seeing, comparing it to a war of the past. Senior military officials have said that while Russia has deployed a large number of troops to its neighboring country um, and a large number of military platforms, they have yet to make use of their advanced weaponry. Now, one thing about the Israelis, they have what is called the Mossad. Uh, the Mossad is, if you don't know, they're like an intelligence extraordinaire. I mean, they're, they're, uh, they make our CIA look like chumps, James Bond. Like if, if, you, if you wanna hear James Bond stories, read stories about the Mossad, the Israeli uh, the crazy spy stuff. Um, this was, I don't know if you guys knew this, uh, a couple of years ago, I, I, I had, uh, we had a Mossad guy. He was, he was the former <clears throat> head of the Mossad sitting right where you guys are sitting right here. Um, and he came to church and they brought his detail and they had all these guys with weapons and they called us ahead of time saying, hey, we want this guy to come to your church at Eighth Greek. And uh, he came here and sat right there. And then that would be the one Sunday when some guy who was drunk came to church and stumbled in and he was wandering around <laughs> The Mossad, the director of the Mossad that was sitting. And I'm like, sir, maybe you remember that Sunday. I said, sir, can I help you? And he's like, I'm looking for my girlfriend. I saw, and our, one of our elders came up, your girlfriend's over here and helped him. And he was a little inebriated uh, that Sunday, which was a sad thing. We did have a cool talk with him after church though, as far as Jesus and salvation, <laughs> truly. Like um, he, he needed to hear about the Lord. I thought he was gonna get killed. Uh, <laughs> you know, as he was walking around the Mossad guy. But uh, anyways, so you never know who you're sitting next to uh, on Sunday morning or whatever at Athey Creek. But um, the Mossad, uh, they're, they're saying, they're, you know, they're saying that Russia hasn't even, they haven't even dusted off their fanciest and most scary weaponry. Um, they're, they're using old equipment and stuff like that, which is interesting. In light of this, over 12,000 Russian troops are said to have either been killed or injured so far. And Ukraine claims uh, to have destroyed at least 49 fighter jets, 81 helicopters, 335 tanks, 1,105 armored vehicles, 123 artillery systems, and more. Now, those numbers 
that's the reports. Who knows whether they're true or false? Like these, these days we're living, uh, and these reports, I just kind of take them all a little bit with a grain of salt. But um, these are uh, United States officials who are saying these numbers, you can take them for what you want. That's what I love, by the way, about the Bible. It's not fake news. Uh, whenever you read the Bible, we're on solid ground. Whenever you read US officials, you might just kind of go, I don't know. Um, but those are the numbers they're touting, which if that's true, if, if, if you know, the, the Russians have lost 12,000 troops, either to death or injury, and 49 fighter jets, when are they gonna break out the, the other weapons? Like, when are they gonna start? And, and, that, and I'm wondering, when's that gonna happen? And, and why is uh, Pooty Poot uh, waiting, uh, you know, as, as George Bush called it? Remember when George Bush used to call him Pooty Poot? That cracks me up, because he's not the guy you'd call Pooty Poot to his face, I don't think. Um, be that as it may. Um, what does all this mean for Bible prophecy? Not really 100% sure. But here's some food for thought uh, for you Bible students. Um, <clears throat> what we know about the Russian bear, Gog, Magog, Ezekiel 38 and 39, and I'm not even gonna go into that because we've talked, we've done whole sessions, many of them on that. But, um, but you know, when the Russian bear will come down with a hook in her jaw, as it's told there, and invade Israel, the reason is they're gonna come to take what? A spoil. And now what that spoil is, boy, there's some interesting things. We used to say, well, it's gonna be oil but it could be natural gas. It could be uh, all the, the fruit and vegetables and food uh, that's being produced and shipped to Europe. Um, Israel's becoming a lifeline for Europe, especially in light of the Russian sanctions and what have you. And it puts Israel in this interesting space. Israel is suddenly this lifeblood to Europe as food and natural gas is being uh, shipped up there. And there's even deals being made about pipelines going from Israel up into Europe because Russia's spout is being turned off right now. Um, now what's the Russian, you know, if Europe goes along swimmingly because Israel's you know, feeding, does that make the Russian bear mad? Is that one of the things that draws Russia down to Israel? Um, not that they need it themselves as much as they need to turn off that spigot to Europe, perhaps. There's some interesting things to think about. Um, you know, um, the, the big question to me, and this is something that, you know, just, I, I don't know that I have an answer, but does Putin actually have a plan? Um, and, and, and does he have a plan that we've yet to see really unfold? Because um, here's the thing, those, those of us that have kind of watched Putin for years and years, um, and, uh, and as I listen to people who've known Putin, like um, you know, some of our former officials and what have you, um, that, that have actually had meetings with Putin, the, the big question is, he, he's either kind of gone crazy or he's not so smart. Now, I'm not gonna bet on either of those two. I don't know that he's crazy and I don't think he's not so smart. He didn't become who he is by being stupid. I'm not defending him. I'm not saying I like him. Uh, I'm just saying um, uh, there's, there, either he's crazy or not so smart and he's just really stupid to do what he did, or um, there's more to what's going on than what we actually know. And that's what I wonder. Like, and, and, and I've not really heard any great, I've, I've been studying and reading and there's a bunch of people with theories, and, but I've not heard the one that I go, ooh, that's the one, that's what, he's, that, that's what old Pootie's up to. Uh, and I can't say that we know what that is. Uh, meanwhile, um, he's doing this horrible invasion of Ukraine and man, uh, that's where we as Christians, we're sending help and aid and we pray for the Ukrainian people because that's very real. There's real people being displaced, over 4 million people now uh, uh, that have had to uh, leave their homes and it's, it's really tragic. 
But, the, but it really does cause one to wonder, is Putin just dumb as he lost his mind or is there something else going on here? And, um, you know, and then everything I just told you, you also have to figure in the massive misinformation that's out there right now, which just fogs up the whole thing even that much more. So on this idea of you know, Russian embarrassment, the, um, uh, you know, the signs of the time, could the embarrassing part be part of his plan to get people sort of off, off, uh, off their footing. Uh, wow, you know, I mean, even the United States were sort of saying, wow, we used to be afraid of Russia. Now there's nothing, look at them. Look how badly they're doing right now. And their weapons are dropping and hitting the dirt. Uh, and their tanks are being blown up by, you know, some, we're just giving some of our trashy weapons to the Ukrainians and they're shooting their planes out of the sky and, and wiping out their tanks. Could it be that that's exactly what Putin wants the world to think? Um, that's an interesting question. So um, possible Gog, Magog scenarios, Ezekiel 38, 39, maybe Russia will then come in and shock the world with, uh, with their real weaponry and their real power. That's a possibility. Maybe Russia will have to try to save face. Maybe if this is real and they're really, their army isn't what that we all thought it was, maybe they'll try to save face by going into Israel. Don't forget, Russian soldiers are on the northern border of Israel in uh, Syria as we speak. Um, and there's a lot of them up there. Um, maybe uh, Russia trying to recover economically from the sanctions that are uh, hitting them. Uh, maybe that'll be the part of the hook that draws Russia down. Uh, maybe Russia trying to control Europe, like I mentioned, and the, the lifeblood that Israel's uh, feeding to the Europeans. Um, um, but um, the question is, is this the Gog and Magog of Ezekiel 38 and 39? I don't know. But I'm, I'm almost wondering if the answer is no. I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying, I, I think everybody needs to kind of calm down. Who knows? Maybe it's something that's still off in the future ways. But it is worth noting. And I'm definitely not one of those Bible prophecy guys saying, yeah, this is for sure, you know, evidence of Gog Magog in Putin. So that's just some, something of the signs of the times. Um, watching Russia and what they're doing is a, a sign of the time as it relates to what the Bible says concerning uh, Gog Magog, Ezekiel 38, Russia, and the confederation of the nations, including Iran, uh, Turkey. Another thing that's making um, the whole Gog Magog thing not fit, you, you've heard me talk about how everything was lined up like last year for the Gog Magog invasion. Like it was an amazingly lined up situation. But have you noticed how friendly Turkey's been to Israel lately? That's, that's ruining our narrative. Um, like, I have to admit, I have to say, wow, that doesn't really figure into the Gog Bingo because Turkey's going to be part of that group that attacks Israel. Now, before we get too uh, chilled about that whole thing, Turkey is sort of schizophrenic right now with Erdogan uh, as a leader. And who knows, uh, would I trust Turkey and what they're doing right now? Um, by the way, those of you that have been to Israel with me, um, uh, we go through Hezekiah's Tunnel. Um, and remember at the end of Hezekiah's Tunnel, there's a plaque. Did you remember we show you that plaque at the very end and it's inscribed the stone talking about this is Hezekiah's tunnel and built in during the time of Hezekiah. And it was, it was a stone plaque. The problem, and I told you guys this at the time, that's a replica. And um, the one that was originally there was taken. Uh, and guess, guess who had that, that placard that was in Hezekiah's tunnel? Anybody know? Turkey. Turkey had that plaque and they had it in their museums and stuff. This was the plaque of Hezekiah and they displayed it in Turkey, in Istanbul. Um, but shockingly, Turkey's trying to cozy up with Israel right now, which is really shocking. 
And one of the things they did as a show of kindness is they gave the plaque back to Israel of the Hezekiah's tunnel, which is a big deal uh, for the Israelis. You know, that's a huge thing. Tourism is their number one industry in Israel and have that real plaque back is kind of a big deal. And um, so it's, it's, it's uh, interesting to see how uh, Turkey's warming up. But the, so, so I, I have to say that doesn't fit the Ezekiel 38 narrative. Um, but don't be too shocked because uh, Turkey could flip on a dime and change, they have before. That wouldn't shock me if suddenly, or even Turkey cozying up to Israel as part of a plot to turn on Israel. They've done that before. Remember the flotillas and all that stuff that happened when Turkey got busted by the Israeli commandos that jumped on those ships? That's what really turned the relationship sour. How many years ago was that? Like 10, 10 years ago, I guess, I don't know. Um, but uh, their relationship has been on and off. And right now it's on, shockingly to say. So watching this um, Russian embarrassment, it, it, there, I think it, it raises more questions in my mind than answers about Gog Magog and whether or not that this is part of that plan or situation, but it is worth watching. And, and that's one of the things we're supposed to watch. So that's number one. Number two, um, this is another sign of the time. Uh, the nuclear threat, it, it's, it's reaching a, a very dangerous point. And man, I can't, uh, I can't say enough about how we've been lulled asleep with the nuclear problem in the world. Um, I think some people say 1955, I wasn't alive then, but in 1955, some people say the, the fears were at its height after we saw what happened you know, with our weapons, uh, Hiroshima, Nagasaki, and then the world started you know, gathering nuclear weapons. And by 1955, you know, uh, things were getting, uh, you know, everybody knew. If you asked a person in 1955, do you think we're gonna survive the next 20 years? Most people at that time would say, no, the world's gonna blow itself up. And we had the Cuban Missile Crisis. And you know, some of us, we had to do that so smart thing when uh, we did nuclear drills as we got under our desks at school and uh, thought that's gonna help us um, uh, in a nuclear exchange. Um, but once you know, Ronald Reagan and uh, Gorbachev uh, hit it off, um, and there's kind of an interesting story. I, I probably shouldn't get into all this, but um, there at... Um, in Geneva, when Reagan and Gorbachev were talking, they, they went on a walk because things were getting tense between them as they were talking. But um, they, they went off out by themselves in a cabin and started talking about stuff. And Reagan, in his you know, very familial, you know, jovial way, tried to lighten the mood. And he said something like, um, he said, if space aliens came and attacked the United States, would you come to our rescue and defense? And Gorbachev said, I think I would. Um, and they did this through translators, right? Um, and then Gorbachev said, if we were attacked by base aliens, would you guys of the United States come to our defense? And Ronald Reagan said, I would. And they, they sort of chuckled at that. Then they came back to the, the table where they were officially debating and talking about nuclear weapons and, and uh, the Cold War and stuff like that. And all the advisors and all the people were there and they, they noticed a massive change in the relationship between Reagan and Gorbachev just because they were joking and laughing when they came back from that little walk. Um, it's amazing how the nuclear, the Cold War sort of ended with a, with a little jovial thing about space aliens attacking. And by the way, there was a speech that Reagan did later where he told his speechwriters that, you know, if we were ever to get attacked by space aliens, and he wanted that in the speech. 
Um, and it was a code in his speech that was meant for Gorbachev because only Gorbachev knew about that little thing that they talked about, the space alien attack. And his advisor like, yeah, Reagan, don't talk about the space aliens. People think you're nuts. So nope, leave it in my speech. Um, it's a great story, but it's all of that that led to uh, the, you know, tearing down of the Berlin Wall and the end of the Cold War and all that stuff. Um, and, and it's kind of interesting because the nuclear threat, while the Cold War ended and all that, the nuclear threat didn't go away. The nukes are still there. And bigger and worse nukes by far are there today. And, and yet we, we're, we're a generation now that largely kind of just uh, ignorance is bliss um, to, to know. And you're saying, Brett, why should you talk about it? You're just gonna make us all freak out. Um, oh, you really wanna be freaked out? A guy named Leon Trotsky, he said this. He said, you may not be interested in war, but war is interested in you. <laughs> that's, that's a scary uh, little line there. Uh, you may not be interested in war, but war is interested in you. And if there's something in history that's been proven true, that is true. Um, you, you know, the idea is he was referring to the vortex that war inevitably uh, creates, uh, sucking a whole in, sucking in whole communities and individuals who thought themselves as neutrals or non-combatants, um, uh, you know, thinking, oh, I don't care about war. I'm not a military person. And, but war has a way of finding you, is, is what uh, Trotsky said. Um, and we're seeing that today, by the way. Um, much of Europe has become sort of highfalutin, in my opinion, about the United States and their military and all their battles and weapons and stuff. But now they're all, uh, over here, NATO, we love NATO, and United States is our friend. Why? Because they got Putin sort of knocking at their back door. And suddenly, Sweden and Switzerland, did you guys see this um, just a few days ago? Uh, Daily Mail article, um, two Russian fighter jets uh, that violated Swedish airspace earlier this month were equipped with nukes with the aim of scaring Stockholm after Putin had threatened military action if Sweden or Finland joined NATO. You know, when you think of Sweden and Finland, Switzerland and some of these places, they're all the ones like, oh yeah, we're neutral and we're just all good. But now you got Russian jets with nukes flying over your airspace. Um, and so this picture is actually a real picture from one of the uh, uh, Swedish uh, pilots um, as they're chasing these Russian uh, jets out of their airspace. Um, but the Russians were there just to kind of say, we're here and we could drop a nuke on you. And they had nukes on their, on their aircraft. Uh, and it was shocking to the world. Um, the two Russian planes violated Swedish airspace. Space, um, uh, the flyover near the island of Gotland on March 2nd was uh, the deliberate act designed to intimidate Sweden, according to the Swedish news channel TV4, Nyaterna. Uh, but all that to say, um, the nuclear threat is still big. And, and what's even more, the Ukrainian-Russian uh, conflict, you know, Putin's talked about how he's not afraid to use nuclear weapons. And man, if you think about that, you know, um, it was Richard Nixon who concluded after talking to all the um, specialists and, you know, seeing the numbers and what warfare with nukes would do. It was Richard Nixon who actually said, um, if it gets down to it, I would never push the button. Now, what's interesting about that, when a president says, I would never push the button, then suddenly deterrence is lessened. Like um, one of the things that's, I think, kept us all from blowing each other up is mutually assured destruction. Once one side thinks that we won't push the button, then they're gonna be emboldened. 
Um, and that's something that's kind of a strange thing. I'm not saying I love nuclear weapons and I'm, uh, that we should be ready to push the button. Cause you know, when you push the button things, it's pretty much over for everybody. Um, so that we've got this weird uh, conundrum. Uh, I think most experts uh, on nuclear weapons and, and uh, all that stuff, the science behind nuclear weapons, most are shocked that we've made it this far without another exchange like Hiroshima and uh, Nagasaki, the dropping of the atomic bomb there. Um, and especially because of the numbers of weapons, this comes from um, uh, World Nuclear Estimated Global Nuclear Warhead Inventories. But you know, the amount of nuclear weapons, we've, we've diminished some, we've gotten rid of some since the Cold War. But right now the United States has 5,428 nuclear warheads. Russia has 5,977. Israel, by the way, has 90 uh, and the other nations. Um, but you know, Pakistan, 165, India, 160. Um, so despite the progress in re reducing nuclear weapons, um, you know, the world combined in inventory of nuclear warhead remains at an extremely high level. Nine countries possessed roughly uh, 12,700 warheads as the uh, early 2022 numbers tell us. Um, approximately 90% of all nuclear warheads are owned by Russia and the United States. Uh, um, and, um, and we've got stockpiles. Uh, no other nuclear armed state sees a need for more than a few hundred nuclear weapons for their own national security. Um, you know, uh, like North Korea with their 20, uh, they believe that's gonna keep them safe because they do have nukes. It doesn't matter how many they have. Um, this article, uh, US military deplo deploys new type of nuclear weapon seen as the key to countering Russia. This was from uh, a couple years ago, but I bring this one up because um, this new nuclear weapon, we haven't designed a new nuclear weapon for really the past uh, 10 years, or it's been over a decade. Why did we um, come up with a new, uh, this article says the US military deployed a new submarine launched low yield nuclear weapon, something <clears throat> the Pentagon sees as a crucial uh, implement to counter the threat posed by Russia's arsenal of smaller tactical nukes. See, one of the things when Putin threatens to use nukes, he does have an arsenal of nukes that are not um, giant, like the ones that would just uh, you know, take out a half a million people. Uh, there are those weapons too, but um, there's ones that are more tactical nukes that aren't quite as huge, but still horribly uh, scary. The new warheads the United States uh, made were to sort of match um, boom for boom on these nuclear weapons. Uh, the first US nuclear weapons in decades were produced uh, in February of uh, 2020. Um, so, uh, you know, the, here's the thing about that though. Um, several high ranking officials, administrations in the United States um, have said these weapons are actually more dangerous and here's why because they're low yield and so we think we can use them. Because they're low yield nuclear weapons, they're more likely to use them because, well, they're not giant nuclear weapons. But what we have to remember is um, if it's a nuclear weapon, it's a nuclear weapon. Once a tactical nuke is used, 
then some of these other crazy night nations like North Korea um, might use their nuclear weapon uh, or what have you. It's, it's just asking for escalation. The, the experts are horrified at this smaller nuclear tactical weapon because we, we might use it. Does that make sense? Whereas we wouldn't have used the giant, you know, 20,000 megaton, uh, whatever, uh, bombs or whatever. Um, now, uh, speaking of nuclear weapons, at least uh, up until fairly recent years, um, most of the nations with nuclear weapons, uh, uh, we sort of trusted and mutually assured destruction has kept us safe. The thing that's uh, very end times, very last days, is crazy people having nuclear weapons. Um, and that's why I ran. That's why I ran wanting nuclear weapons. The world is like, yeah, we can't let that happen, or at least some people in the world. But North Korea is kind of the one that we're all kind of a little worried about still. Did you guys see the uh, nicely produced video uh, that, that uh, yeah, it's a, this, is, this is not a fake video. This is a real publicity video that Kim Jong-un put out um, and I just had to show you. I, we've edited it down because it's like four minutes long, but uh, I've, I've made it shorter. But you, you just gotta see that this is laughable, um, but this is real. This is propaganda for the North Koreans. Here it is. footage is actually interesting of uh, this missile. They got a drone up there that's catching this missile coming up. It's, it is kind of, this is the best part, if you ask me. Um, but it's a, it, it is a rocket there in North Korea. Are they happy that it launched instead of flash splashed into the ocean? Yes. Uh, and uh, everybody's really, really happy. Um, Um, now, does that make you feel comforted that these, this, the, the same people that produced this video actually have a nuclear weapon? That, that makes me nervous, uh, yeah, honestly. Now you say, Brett, what is the, the nuclear weapons and nuclear arsenals and the fear of nuclear, what does that have to do?